Hey, all welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, Doug Padgett here. Uh, we talk about issues of faith and the common good on Wednesdays because I'm privileged to speak with Shane Claiborne today. And uh, yeah. this is the time that works. So, hey, y'all, and glad that you all could join us uh, for this. Uh, I'm speaking to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Shane, you're in Philadelphia today. Is that right? Yeah, I am. City of love. Yep. Uh, uh, well, love you from the city of love. We ask people to share with us their... Um, uh, their location, where they are in the in the chats and, and all of those things. So uh, please, friends, uh, take a minute and do that. Let us know where you're from, where you're coming from. Shane, you were able to be um, in Nashville a day ago, two days ago, for the uh, faith march of uh, people of good conscience and common good faith, asking for attention to be raised at what the legislature in Nashville did by expelling Justin Pearson and Justin Jones from the <laughs> from the legislature because they didn't approve of the way they protested. Um, and uh, and there was a, they've since been reinstated into that role, but that doesn't unravel what happened, that they were expelled. So I wanted to catch up with you and have you tell us what was going on uh, there in Nashville and how it all went down and all that. Yeah, man. Well, I uh, I was in Canada, so I told I had to do those all night flights, reroute, you know, miss one, and finally get down there just in time. But uh, it was so important uh, to try to get down there, right? So, um, I mean, this is my home state too, you know, Doug. This is where I I was born and raised in that land of Dolly Parton, and uh, you're a Tennessean. Yes, and. Uh, and it's a state I love, even though I've been in Philly for a couple of decades. Uh, I still have a lot of uh, love for that state and a lot of concern for it. Uh, you've been on the marches we've done around the death penalty and, um, you know, the March for Mercy we do from mm -hmm. the uh, death row to the Capitol. And then that's one of the ways I got to know Justin Jones over the last few years. We also, you know, in Tennessee... This is important backdrop, right? Because we had the statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, one of the founders of the KKK, in the Capitol until uh, just uh, uh, two years ago. And and it took massive organizing. And, of course, uh, Brother Justin Jones was in the forefront of that, uh, encampments at, um, at the People's Plaza there outside of, of the Capitol. So this is not a, a moment, but a, a movement, you know, in Tennessee that's been happening and that's going to keep mm -hmm. happening. But this was a really um, important gathering i think to uh i mean you think of these these places like nashville um they become kind of a mirror to the rest of the country and it, it's sort of the eye of the storm in some ways at this current mm -hmm. time uh and on so many fronts you know i mean there's there's the death penalty gun violence um uh the the attack on lgbtq folks uh health care i mean so many different things that um are at stake right now in Tennessee. And that's why we, you know, we gathered in solidarity with the Tennessee three with uh, Justin and Justin nice. and uh, nice. uh, representative uh, Gloria. Um, did they, where were yeah. they part of the walk or the March as well that you all did, or did they meet you there at the Capitol? What, Justin was, he was one of the first folks I saw there and, you know, we, we got to catch up a little bit. Um, but, you know, it was really clear, too, that they themselves have said, this is not just about them. This is a For lot sure. bigger than them. So they weren't For really sure. the center of attention. 
Um, but we we sure celebrated them. We laid hands on uh, Justin. I mean, that's one of the other things that's really beautiful about all this is these are folks fueled by their faith, you know, deeply rooted in their love for Jesus and their faith that are concerned about um, so many of these issues that yeah. uh, we should prioritize. Yeah, man. Yeah, and you, and you've had a chance to to know Justin Jones um, for for a while. He was part of the walk that you, you mentioned this the March for Mercy that that we did. He was there. I had a chance to meet him briefly. Such a sweet spirit and strong countenance and and clear. Per, like watching him on the news, seeing him now, you know, in the role of the legislator who was expelled from the from the legislature. You, you know, it's easy to create a, a vision or a picture of of who a person is, and it's accurate. That's that is who he is. I felt like, well, yeah, that's that's the guy. Um, but he's also much more than that, right? He wasn't just that that character. Can you say anything about the, the work you've done with him and, and all that? Because I think it helps people to humanize and personalize these issues, right? When they realize, oh yeah, you know, it's it's, yeah, it's yeah. Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. These are real these are just people getting along and trying to make their way in the world to to create some goodness themselves that find themselves. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, so I just one of the kindest, sweetest souls, you know, and, and will show up every time uh, is not a single issue person, but the, j just deeply concerned. And it's important that, you know, he, he um, uh, has roots at Fisk and, uh, and, and studied theology, you know, he comes out of this uh, liberation, um, good news to the poor version of Christianity. Um, and that's why, you know, all these old guys in the, in the house are really twisting scripture to, uh, to kind of camouflage their bigotry and stuff. And, yeah. and Justin, you know, uh, throws it right back. You know, he centers Jesus when the, yeah. when the legislature was criminalizing homelessness, literally making it a felony charge yeah. to sleep in the public plaza. Um, I remember him just going up and talking to these guys fearlessly, um, uh, but in in his very uh, kind souled manner, you know, going, well, you claim to follow Jesus, you know, what would Jesus do, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, nice. When you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. You know, just recently quoted Isaiah, "Woe to you who pass unjust laws that deprive the poor of their rights." So I think it's it's great, you know, to see someone that's deeply committed to their faith that's offering a different um, narrative uh, and. Uh, yeah, so we, I mean, we've gotten to know each other. He, he wanted me to make him a cross out of a gun barrel. So I've, I've made him a, a cross and uh, I just uh, sent a message to Justin Pearson that I, I just finished his cross today. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I have nothing but respect for them. I don't know Justin Pearson as well, just because, you know, he's from ten, Tennessee's a long state. So Memphis is a little ways. I haven't I had the privilege to spend as much time with Justin Pearson. But, you know, you still see that, that deep faith that they're grounded in. And uh, I, I, I'm so um, well. And and people should know, man. Yeah. And, and people should know, uh, folks don't just randomly ask someone to make a cross out of a gun barrel. That's something you. <laughs> that is something you do, right? That's uh, that's a a project, a particular project that you uh, that that you do. So uh, we, I would love to 
talk about that. Do you have one right there? Can you? you, you I do have one. Well, because I had mine. You know, Reverend Barber. I'm. We'll get back to the event, but you know, Reverend Barber always says, uh, "Be conspicuous. Don't be inconspicuous." But you know, so this is. I can't. I I don't have the ordination and all that, Doug. So I can't wear the. You know, the collar and all. But I can wear this, and this is this is my. attire you know so that that's my cross uh made out of the barrel of a gun and i made uh you know a very similar one for uh uh, both the justins and i'm I'm gonna send gloria hard i think uh but you know that's that's what we've been doing but some of this is you know this is about um the politics of death and and there's so many folks in tennessee that talk about being pro-life but it's so narrowly uh, thought yeah. of that in terms yep. of abortion that on all these other issues they're um, they're actually the obstacles of life and that's why um, at this event Justin Jones um, and others of us Reverend Barber and I mean uh, Dr. Vonetta K- uh, West from the King mm-hmm. Center all kinds of red letter Christian folks we had like 50 people that came so we were there and we carried these coffins some of them were the size of, uh, of a child you know uh, purposefully to remember those children that were killed recently in the mass shooting in the school, uh, but also to think more broadly um, about the um, the policies that Tennessee um, is is passing or or trying to sustain, you know, that are hurting so many people. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a lot of lives at stake. Yeah, and look, so let's talk a bit about that because the, I want to hear more about what happened at this event. But talk about as an organizer and as a faith leader why you believe that these kinds of public displays, rallies, marches are important. Um, You've rattled off a few you've been a part of. We've organized a number of them together. Uh, You know, we're sort of into that stuff and around here at Vote Common Good. But I know there's a lot of people who are trying to understand, like, why and what comes from that and what's the, uh, how does it fit into a larger uh, story, you know, if it's one tile in a mosaic, what's the what's the picture of the mosaic that we're creating with each of these moments becoming a part of a movement? You know, that kind of theory. Can, can you talk a bit about that? Why do this event, um, and of of any style, and and because so many issues, right? You're like just in Tennessee, as you as you named, in the last month, there's been you know a mass shooting, and that caused people to rally up and students and walk to the Capitol and. We've walked there for the death penalty and th- this walk to the Capitol. Um, share share a bit about why it makes sense and 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 how you keep keep going when it can feel like it's just demonstration after demonstration with no you know actualization of the changes that we see at least not in the kind of level that or the the speed that we'd like to see them. Well, there's a real historic precedent in all this, you know, like Dr. Martin Luther King. And I mean, even in other countries, you know, I think of the Children's March in Soweto, like all the the mm-hmm. the marches and rallies that led to the end of apartheid. Or we see like, you know, and 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 lots of different manifestations, you know, over the over the decades um, the Selma and, and Dr. King, one of the things that he said is that one of the things that we've got to do is expose injustice so that it becomes so uncomfortable that people have to respond. And one of the ways that we did that uh, this week in uh, Nashville was we centered the people who have been directly impacted by these deadly policies. Um, I mean, literally a mom whose kid went to uh, covenant school and, um, 
I mean, just wrecked. I mean, the, the tears, the groaning, the grief yeah. of, of that. Of um, and, uh, and these young people, the students who, uh, have some of them been survivors of shootings? Um, there was one church that had been had an uh, active shooter that came into the congregation. So the, that that's really what it's at, at the heart of these movements and the Poor People's Campaign in particular is all about centering the people who have been directly impacted. But then we also have like people of faith, you know, because uh, that's what Dr. King said: the church is not meant to be the master or the servant of the state. The church is meant to be the conscience. Uh, to be this this real prophetic conscience, and uh, so at one point there's thousands of people. Um, Reverend Barber asked everybody that's a, a pastor or clergy or faith leader to stand, and it felt like almost half the room. I mean, there are hundreds, and that's encouraging because we often hear uh, voices in the media that do not represent our faith or Jesus very well. And so it was beautiful to see all of these different, uh, many of them Christian, but also, you know, imams, uh, rabbis and, and lay folks from all different traditions yeah. joining forces, man, and standing up for love. And um, so we marched with the coffins. We had a rally with the, the uh, angelic voice of Yara Allen leading us in song and freedom songs. And, uh, and then of course we did, um, Nonviolently, you know, but passionately uh, go into the Capitol, uh, you know, a, 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 as a part of the event, too. Yeah. Um, Yabetz, who's in our uh, uh, regular commentator here on, on the YouTube channel, has a great point. He says, pardon me for pointing this out, but there seems to be a very wide gap in the Christian community over these issues. And not, not only the particular topics, but even specifically over this particular um, circumstance. And I, I think Yabetz is right. You know, it's it's not as if there's one opinion about this. And that's why I think these demonstrations are important. I think it's to try to make clear to people that, that there's a variety of voices. And a lot of people only hear from those who they agree with, right? We're all, we, we all f find ourselves guilty of that, right? Uh, tuning in to the people who's uh, phrases and voices and ideas we like and yeah and this is finding nothing it more new, difficult you know, with other ones yeah i mean we've had these competing narratives of christianity uh for uh a long time um and yeah. in fact you know i think of the words of frederick Douglass when he said uh between the 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 christianity of this land and the christianity of christ i recognize mm. the widest possible difference you know and then he goes on to point out <laughs> nice. that you know uh, you can't help but reject the uh, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering Christianity of this land, <laughs> you know, if you're going to embrace <laughs> the, the beautiful nice. uh, Christianity of Christ. And I think there's, you know, as, as our friend John the Wilson Hartgrove points out, the slave-holder religion uh, and the liberating religion of the enslaved people. So, like, even now, I think we see versions of Christianity that are— um, in conflict and yep, yep. uh with each other um and i mean you know the the group that we connect through a lot doug uh you know vote common good but also red letter christians our name was born in nashville yeah. when you know this guy said i sometimes get confused by the bible there's parts i like there's parts that i'm confused by but i, I always like the stuff in red talking about you know nice. the, the words of jesus and so i think that's where we we also 
don't want to, uh, we don't want to surrender Jesus to the people that seem to have really distorted our faith um, in the same way that, you know, people have tried to distort other faiths too. So uh, it's beautiful to be a public visible presence that is actually proclaiming the things that Jesus said. What You know, when we welcome the stranger, the immigrant, the refugee, we're welcoming Christ. When we care for the sick and provide health care for people that need yeah. it, we're caring for Jesus, you know? So that, that was one of the things I said, uh, Doug, is I, in the little two minutes that I had, I said, uh, when I was growing up in the 1990s in Tennessee, we had, you know, bracelets and bump, bumper stickers that said, WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? And I said, it, it might sound a little cliche, but if every legislator in that capital that goes to church on Sunday morning um, asked that question, um, and we don't have to speculate uh, what Jesus would do. We know what Jesus did. He protected children. You know, yeah. uh, he stood up for the poor. He blessed the uh, those that mourn and the merciful and the peacemakers. He interrupted yeah. an execution. So, you, you know, you just can't defend the death penalty and guns over kids and all these, you know, just absurd things if you take Jesus seriously. Yeah. And, and look, it's complicated for people because we don't want the legislature of any state, at least I don't, and I don't want the federal legislature to be doing Christian theology and work, right? They need to have guidance from a, a, a broader spectrum than just Christianity. But if there are legislators who are claiming that they're making laws and setting standards based on their faith, that, that, needs, to be, that needs to be critiqued and needs to be countered when it's clearly not the case. How do you think about that, that difference, right? Like, um, the motivation of a legislator versus the job of a legislator when it comes to these kinds of implementing of the faith that that legislator holds. I think there's some things that um, are that, 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 I mean, I guess one of the things I keep coming back to is a scripture, you know, uh, but it's also, I think, a universal principle, which is um, that, that there's that place where the New Testament says, perfect love casteth out fear. And I think every legislator, regardless of their faith, yeah. should be asking, what does, lo what, what does it look like yeah. for love rather than fear? to be the motivating force that's kind of shaping how I think about this, you know? And I mean, that's certainly something that we've been all about with, you know, at yeah. Vote Common Good um, is, is choosing love over fear. But um, to love, you know, over, over and over, Jesus and Scripture says, everything summed up into this, love God, love your yeah. neighbor. So I think particularly for those that do claim to be Christian, that if, if that were the the kind of overarching framework that we're thinking about how do we welcome immigrants um where do guns play into this you know mm -hmm. like uh it's it's a really helpful one and i think that helps us find some common ground too if we go hey we're driven by love let's figure yeah. this out you know right. yeah. but the thing is there's a lot of people that are not driven by love you know they're they're driven by fear they're driven by um a sense of of uh, clinging to power mm -hmm. uh and and so i think those things become really dangerous yeah, power and profits is a, often a, a real bargaining chip, a swap chip for love. You know, there's no no doubt people that I'll commend to people the love and politics pledge that we have on the uh, on the Vote Common yeah. Good website. They can go over to Vote Common Good, and saying that we because love isn't owned by any any group. It's not owned by any person. It's not owned by any religion. 
we're all in that, right? We're all, <laughs> yeah, there's, it's, it's something we're, we're all into. And at the same time, and Shane, we've had to have a lot of conversations with people who oppose the kind of views that, you know, we, we want to share. I know people who say, well, yeah, the way we want to keep children safe is to give guns to teachers, right? So we want to protect children, but we want more guns to protect children. The way we want to help the poor is to get them off of the social welfare system so they can be hardy, you know, uh, participants in the capitalist uh, system as a, as a worker or as an owner. And so get them off of a social uh, safety net. The way we want to protect the planet is to, you know, like sometimes people have the same goal or they'll state it, but their position for for accomplishing that goal is Freaky Friday opposite day, right? Like the thing yeah. that to me seems like it's the clear solution is to limit the amount of deadly weapons that people are carrying around. Most of the country is moving the other direction. Most state legislatures are passing laws to give people more access to deadly weapons in more places at more times. Yeah, just bonkers. So we're not only arguing about do we want to protect kids, but what protects children? And we're not only arguing about what, you know, how do we how do we stop harm being done, um, but we're arguing about the means by which we're going to stop stop harm being done. So it's not only a moral call. There's actually a I don't know a, a tactical call in there, or like no, it's it's we need to do different things, not just hold different priorities. Do you, do you think so? Or how, how do you think about any of that? Well, stuff? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack, but I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that we heard down in Nashville was that this covenant school that was the, you know, the most recent, uh, actually not even anymore. It's not even the most recent, but for, for the, the catalyst for this particular conversation, um, they, they had everything. They, they had all the security, they had all the, uh, yeah. Uh, drills, you know, uh, they were prepared for an assault rifle uh, shooter to come in, um, and yet uh, here, here we are again, you know, and and it really does uh, kind of feel like um, saying more guns are going to solve our gun problem feels kind of like an alcoholic going, I need more whiskey. This is really bad, you know, like uh, that. Um, I, and I heard someone else saying, you know, if, if your dentist office, uh, you know, the, the bathroom blows, a, you know, that starts leaking everywhere. Uh, he doesn't say to the nurse or the dental hygienist, hey, hey could you go take care of that? You know, <laughs> like, like there, there's everybody's got a responsibility in this, you know, and the nice. idea that we're going to also make teachers in charge of emergency response with yeah. armed weapons. I mean, police are bad enough with weapons. Uh, so, and, you know, so I think that, that we're, this is, this is, people are saying it loud now. This is about guns, right? When people say it's not a gun problem, it's a heart problem. I always affirm that we, there is a heart problem. There's a totally. violence obsession in our culture. Uh, but what is unique about America is our access to uh, weapons uh, that can do so much damage uh, and that's why we keep seeing these shootings. I mean, more more mass shootings than there have been days of 2023. And also, like, these mass shootings, as horrific as they are, where four or more people are shot, we've had 150 of them, um, they're less than 2% of our yeah. gun deaths. And and so this is – and Tennessee is one of those states that just keeps getting looser and looser gun laws and somehow is surprised that now – this is recent – now – Guns are the number one cause of death of children in Tennessee and throughout the country. 
I mean, yeah. and so that's why you you go, you can't be pro life and ignore gun violence. Like we we we've got to do something. Yeah, and that and that includes what you're getting at. That includes suicides uh, and family domestic uh, violence situations. That that's how children are most killed by guns, right? It's mass shootings, yes, but not only. So there is a serious problem and. You know, this isn't a conversation about guns, but we should continue to have those, right? Because uh, we, we've done some others, but I want to stay on this for a moment. Because, yeah, totally. Um, look, I get it that people say we can't, um, you, you can't only blame the gun that a person is involved in shooting the gun. And that's that's true. The number of people who are harmed by, by self-firing weapons is rather low, right? Most of the time, it's someone who's shooting the gun on purpose. But as a society, we know that it takes two, a shooter and a weapon, to make that damage happen. The thing we're not going to do is get rid of people, and we're not going to solve for mental illness in the foreseeable future. So if there's two parts of the problem and one part's not solvable, that leaves the other part to be solvable. And it's a little shocking that people simply say, we won't do anything about one half of the two-part problem. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there's there's uh, there, there's also a, an important uh, thing that that uh, I've learned the more I've studied this too is that you know mental health is is of deep concern, and that's why we should care about better resources for it. But someone who struggles with mental health is more likely to be a victim of violence than to be a perpetrator of it. Um, and every country in the world has folks that struggle with mental right. health. That even people that are like just filled with hatred want to kill people like but what's unique about our country is allowing the capacity that someone can do that right um and uh so i think there's also a role that technology has you know where like fingerprint technology on guns if if uh they there was some kind of fingerprint technology we have the capacity to do this i mean we operate a lot of other things off fingerprints if a kid found a gun in the house if uh, a gun was stolen um you know, someone else than the gun owner was maybe thinking of taking their life. It just make it a little harder. And that's what I think um, we should be putting all of our minds on this and that's not right. having these false dualisms that this is policy or this is technology or this is about culture. It can be all those things. So let's, yeah. let's put our heads together on it, you know? And that's where Dr. King, too, he had a great line, you know, he said, a law can't make you love me, but it can make it harder for you to kill me. <laughs> so that's a great let, line. Let, yeah. Let's make it harder to kill. Yeah, I I was just somebody I was just saw something recently about one of the iconic bridges, I think maybe the Golden Gate Bridge. And there was a real problem where people were suiciding off of the Golden Gate Bridge. So what they did was put up barriers to make that more difficult. This point that you're making, right? Because that's that's the reasonable thing you would do if you knew that there was a particular means by which people in emotional decisions that they they and others will could or would regret to make that system to, to make actualizing the suicide through that that means more difficult. Yeah, we don't I seem mean, to do that maybe, with weapons. We right. we leave it as a we make it more possible for that to happen. I mean, walk by any, nearly any walking bridge and they make it difficult for someone to fall off uh, accidentally or to to fall off intentionally because that's what you do. You take a dangerous thing and you make it more difficult for harm to come from it. 
and why yeah. we can't seem to get there around the weapons uh, in this country is an actual choice that we don't, to this point, seemingly want to change. People are generally putting up with it enough where, you know, we're, we're, we're unwilling to, to, to make the changes that, that would need to be made. And I'm not sure everybody agrees on all the changes that should be made, right? And certainly don't agree with the position I have, which is, you know, on the more um, make them extraordinarily difficult for people to get and only usable in certain circumstances and situations. You know, that, that, would, be my, that would be my take on it. I know other people have, have really different understandings of it. Yeah, I mean, just I think one more thing on the suicide because it, it it is over half the gun deaths are suicide, and so when we think about guns and access to guns are are the are a huge deal because they're so unforgiving. You don't get a second chance. Ninety um, percent mm -hmm. of people is more than ninety percent that attempt suicide with a gun die. Uh, but here's what's interesting is just like you said, when there's other methods that someone tries to take their own life, um, most of the time they survive. 80% of the time, 90% of the time they survive and they don't die by suicide. They're able to get help. They're able to rethink yeah. the crisis. Um, and that that's why, you know, in veterans, people talk about veterans, you know. The, the, the veteran suicide yeah. rate is twice that of the population. The biggest cause of death of veterans is suicide. And so all of these things, like, let's be advocates of life and, and guns. Where there are more guns, there are more gun deaths. And it just shouldn't surprise us. There are more gun suicides. Yeah, so true. All right, so we, we didn't even bring this up. I didn't even ask you if you want to talk about this, but you did write a book about this stuff that just came out, and we haven't had you on the book, on the podcast yet to talk about the book. So here's a freebie for that conversation. It's called Rethinking Life, uh, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. Um, you get after this issue in uh, guns in this, in this book, but you've also written elsewhere about gun circumstance uh in the united states what do you want to tell us about this about this particular book though that's that's newly out just in the last few weeks yeah i didn't i didn't really know we were going to do all that but uh, i didn't either I but mean, you know i mean you know, we're as long in as we Nashville, are. yeah i mean this is this is all really connected and and in in so many ways you know it's uh, i wrote i wrote a book about guns beating guns i wrote a book about the death penalty executing grace but the fact that so many folks that say they're pro-life are um, are actually the biggest supporters of guns and the biggest supporters of the death penalty and and really an obstacle to life on so many other issues. That's part of why I wrote this you know new book because it kind of zooms out a little bit from the issues and is about what does it look like to have a a better foundation for. Yeah. Um, our thinking on all these that it that is all about love and a concern for people who are made in the image of god uh and 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 so i mean in some ways that's why it's very related to tennessee yeah the fact that we still have the electric chair that we're still actively executing people and it's being done in places some of the most deadly policies in america are in the bible belt and in states where christians are governors and legislators and are championing policies that I think betray the very heart of Jesus. And as you point out, you know, it's also beyond Christian faith. Like they're just really terrible policies. They really hurt 
the most vulnerable people uh, in in our land. I mean, it's no surprise that Tennessee's also suffering on other fronts like healthcare and education and yep. um, these things too, man. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and, and I think it's super helpful. People are thinking differently about <clears throat> these issues or they're thinking newly about these issues or they're thinking again about these issues. And very often people need, they need new inputs in order to think differently, right? This is something that preachers have known, psychologists know, counselors know. You have to break the pattern of your thought to think new ways. And one of the ways that some people break the pattern is to take in new ideas. So when someone says, oh, I've been thinking about issues of how we have a culture of a life-giving culture, or what we say around our world, you know, that we want to curate life wherever we can find it. And we want to be championing it. But I can't use the old ideas I had about that because those old ideas, the previous ideas I've had have gotten me to this point, right? I need yeah. some fresh ideas and some fresh perspectives. So that's why uh, all of these ideas, uh, all of these moments open up the window for people to say, we need to think differently about this. Like the number of people I know who have said, yeah. I have never, I haven't thought one day in my life about state legislators. I, I mean, I couldn't name my own state legislator. I've probably voted for some because they're probably on the ballot, but I don't know who they are. I don't know how many there are. I don't, I don't think about state legislatures until two guys get kicked out of the state legislature in, in Tennessee. And then they're like, what? You expelled two yeah. black legislators when three people did the same thing or seemingly the same thing? And one of them was a white woman and two were black men and all of a sudden people are finding themselves like, hey, this legislator or legislature, what's the word we use? Do we use, like literally people I've been in conversations with aren't sure if it's yeah. legislature or legislate, right? They're brand new to talking about this stuff. So they're having to think new. And then there's, that brings them to thinking about guns and then they're thinking about other policies. So talking about, you know, this book that you have out, which is great, um, is not just like pitching a book. It's really reminding people that there's help out there. There, and there's some new ways to think about some things and there's new conversations that you can be in with people in your life because we're all thinking about this stuff in, in yeah. new ways, right? It's, it's totally. society's moving on these issues and we can't keep thinking that we know enough already to, to answer, you know, to answer the, the call of this, of this current moment. I, I think a lot of people are, are uh, tired, a, a bit exhausted of the political camps and the partisan, um, you know, kind of paralysis of the two parties and stuff, too. And that's why, you know, Reverend Barber often says that, that, that a lot of these things are not about left and right. They're about right and wrong. And um, at this uh, march and at all the Moral Mondays marches that they've had in North Carolina, they actually don't have any uh, politicians that. Um, speak from the stage. Mm -hmm. Even even at this one, uh, neither of the Justins or Gloria or any any of the politicians spoke. It centered the people who have been impacted, um, and you know, faith leaders that led in prayers and things like that. But it was really around those who have been um, suffered, you know, from the brunt of these policies. And I think that makes a huge difference, you know, because it's 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 hard to mm -hmm. argue with people's stories, and we're we're not going to argue people into thinking differently. But I think if we yeah. can move people in their hearts, if someone can be moved by another person's pain, this mother of the elementary school kid, you know, it just yeah. goes. This, this, I've had enough, you know. Like I'm, I'm I want to I want to do something differently. So I think that's you know that's what these public demonstrations do. But they also embolden us, right, Doug? Is mm -hmm. it's easy to feel like you're alone in your yeah, right. 
in your fatigue, in your cynicism, in your your exhaustion, yeah. right? Sitting, and sitting so in your you basement together, talking to the internet could be a little lonely feeling. Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, you got hundreds of people, and courage is contagious, right? Like yes. the courage that Justin and Justin and uh, Gloria showed, the the courage of Kaepernick as he kneeled, the courage of Rosa Parks, you know, that that's contagious. Yeah, and um, that's right. just like fear is contagious, like so, I think we want to keep that momentum. Uh, emboldening folks, and and part of the reason that um, we call it a moral Monday, you know, or a moral movement, is because we th- this this is about right and wrong, and we don't yeah. want groups that have called themselves the moral majority to um, and yet have so many contradictions in the values that they hold. We want to say there there are some things that are about right and wrong, and this isn't yeah. about partisanship. Uh, in, in fact, we, you and I have had plenty of critiques of uh, Biden, and I think of some of the things that we that, that he could be totally. doing to be a little bit more pro-life on the death penalty and immigration, and you know, you name it. Yeah. So this, but but to to um, to stand together and say we're standing, you know, alongside our brothers and sisters and our family and siblings that are hurting right now. Like that's what this is about. It's about solidarity, you know, and it's, it's not about partisanship. And I think that's moving people. I mean, I was encouraged, dude. Yeah. I don't know if you saw Amy Grant, uh, you know, and, um, uh, several other, uh, (laughs) you know, we, uh, we had her going public on the death penalty, um, at one point and, uh, and, and, and then, you know, she's standing up on gun violence. We're working on Michael W. Smith, but I got a, I got a, a message from Kevin from DC talk, right? Toby, Mike and Kevin, you remember that? Okay. Um, so yeah. like, like he's still making great music, but he's in Nashville. He's like, I'm in, you know, like, so there's people that are getting yeah. courage that are thinking new things. And all of us are not the same person we were 10 years ago. So yeah, I think so it's that's never, so never too late to do right. Shane, I don't think I've talked to you since I, I was infected by a really great notion, uh, an idea that hit me about two weeks ago. I made a little video and stuff about this, but it was this this statement from a presenter where he said, look, when you're doing significant kind of cultural shift like we're doing in the United States and happens around the world and is a continuous process or in a family or an organization or anything, but this kind of shift, rarely do you get to a place where you can say we're going to have a future built on a shared narrative. Because our narratives come from our backgrounds, our narrative comes from our worldviews. So we're not going to get to the point where we're going to share a narrative, all agree on the same set of facts, ideas, and dreams, and that will be our future. He said, but what we can have is we can have a narrative of a shared future. There we go. We can have a narrative that says we have a shared future. So we're not going to agree on the same future. But we can say whatever our narrative is going to be, we're going to all be sharing the future together. We're in this thing together. And that's something that we have to get to, right? We can't, we're not going to get there on any of this if we continue to say some of us are going to win, some are going to lose, and the winners are going to have the spoils. And the rest of you, you're out. Like the truth of it is, we're going to live in a world where people disagree on really important issues. So what we need to be talking about is how do we live in that shared world? Because the world that we're living in now, it's not working for everybody. 
but we're not going to end up in a world where, which you get in politics a lot. So a lot of the political wrangling is like, we're going to take back America, right? I hear people on both political sides wanting take back and war and fight language. And if we keep doing this sort of tug of war with who controls, we're just going to end up with sore hands, sore legs, and in a stalemate of frustration. So mm-hmm. we have to have uh, some kind of a, of a narrative of a shared future, even though even though we don't have a, a shared narrative of what the future is going to look like. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we've got to have is um, is this this uh, belief that truth sets us free and even the hard yeah. truth, you know? Um, and that's why, you know, we, we've been together with uh, Brian Stevenson and um, when he talks about uh, we can't get our future right until we get our history right. You know, that some of this is about yeah. telling the truth about how we got here. Right. Yeah. And, and when we live in denial of that, it's just like, I mean, in the church, you know, we, we believe that confession is 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 healing like you've got to confess your sins and that's not the end of the story it's the beginning of something new but yep. as long as you continue to bury those and you cover up your secrets and you like all that stuff holds you hostage right and and in some ways that that's what some of this is about too i mean it's it's no coincidence that i mean literally one of these first fights where i met you know Justin Jones was with the the conf- this Confederate statues, these monuments to people Crazy. who were absolutely on the wrong side of history. Yep. I mean, we've been better at preserving Confederate monuments than protecting black lives. And we, you know, it's like 9-11. You don't remember 9-11 by putting up statues to the terrorists, you know? <laughs> like, that's just, that's not how we remember history, you know? Yeah. Like, you go to Nazi, you go to Germany, you don't have statues of Nazis. You have all these memorials. And I think, um, and not just seeing you know, folks as victims, but seeing like the the true, like the beauty and the contributions of native and black and brown skinned folks like throughout history, like so that we can tell the truth about who we are, because that's what some of this is really about. I mean, it's why folks are saying we don't want to teach about Martin Luther King and our schools. We want to ban these books. I mean, that's happening in Tennessee. And and yep, uh, yep. Uh, it's very related to this, you know, folks that say, Make America great again. They're wanting to go back ra- rather than go forward. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, but that's why there's a generational piece to this that's so important, right? There's a race piece to it. I mean, it's no coincidence that the two black legislators were kicked out, and the white one was uh, Gloria Stage. She said that herself, you know. But they're also young. These guys are 25 years old. I think when Justin became when he won. The guy that he was running against had been in office longer than he had been alive. (laughs) So there's this like youthfulness, right? And that's what's energizing. Many of these folks fueled by their faith and not letting, you know, old folks that have distorted our faith get in there. So there's like there was a youthfulness in Nashville. The young people are tired, right? They're fed up with the like uh, excuses and the thoughts and prayers without action. Uh, So on, you know, on on the environment, on gun violence, the Black Lives Matter movement, you name it. Like it's young people that are leading the way. So I'm I'm pumped. I think it's a great time. Yeah. I, I will I will uh, joyride on your enthusiasm about that because I'm I, I'm jaded enough to believe that in you know the 1960s people were saying the same thing and 55 years later you have those that same generation who's the, who are the ones in the way so I'm not entirely sure that uh, simple generational shifts are going to are going to get us here I think 
we're, we're going to need some we're going to need some uh, additional adjustments to just waiting on the next generation to 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 find themselves in leadership. So yeah, I think you're right. I don't I, think that we I'm, can I'm wait hard, for this I'm, stuff I'm, to I'm age heart out. heavy about about. First of all, I don't want to wait that long, and secondly, I'm not entirely sure we should trust that whatever any generation is going to hold hold fast to it. I'm not sure we have a culture that is creating a system by which we're like, I think in 50 years, it's probably going to have worked itself through the system. You know, who yeah. would have thought, I mean, who I, would have I, thought I, in I, 1970 we'd be here right now? Yeah, I definitely think that, uh, that we, we don't wait. I think we, you know, we, we, um, uh, one of my mentors said, you know, there's a scripture that says good things come to those who wait upon the Lord. He said, that's true sometimes. It's also true sometimes that uh, good things come to those who get off their butts and get organized, you know. So I think we need a little bit of both. Yeah. Blessed are the organized. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, th I think that's right. And, and look, because we all have to do it, you know, and, and it's good that a younger generation is stepping forward and and because it's going to, it really is all of us like that. Uh, I, I am more convinced than ever that we're not going to get there by empowering one small set of us. We have to find a way for as many of us as possible in this country to join together. And, and sometimes that means, you know, um, not being as comfortable with all the people that we're working with or all the outcomes that we're going to get. There's something about human life that requires give and take and to and fro and compromise and finding a way. And where we are right now feels, you know, look, I, I help run an organization that really does not want one particular party to continue to have political power until it comes to its senses and apologizes for its behavior over the last 10 years. Like, I'm really committed to that. Uh, so, you know, a little rich for someone like me to be suggesting, right, that it's going to take all of us. So I'm all for accountability and shifts and change and timeouts and, and all the rest of the things you do. Um, you just sort of correct the system. But we do ultimately have to get to a place where it's there's there's not just some of us. And, and I'm not sure. Uh, it, it just feels a long way off uh, currently. But you have to work through the night, you know. You just, you just work when it's, you know, you have to work when the weather's not in your favor. And the weather's not totally in our favor right now. But... Yeah, but, but I'm also thinking, open you know, to another you, another view of it. Well, I, I was just going to say, I think the p part of what I see moving the envelope is from where we have the humility to work with people who we don't agree with on everything. And uh, I mean, on gun violence, one of our best allies right now, Doug, is like um, gun owners against assault weapons uh, and hunters concerned about gun violence, these groups of gun owners yep. that are deeply concerned about gun violence, and they can reach people that I'm not reaching. They're bringing new people into the movement, you know, in states like Oklahoma, it's conservatives that are going to probably end up leading the way to the death penalty abolition. You yeah, know, folks amazing. like our friend Adam Luck, who was mm -hmm. appointed by the governor, and yet out of his faith and his conscience, as he's looking at these cases, 10,000 cases he looked at, um, he said, our system's never going to be perfect. And so there comes a point where you go, when it comes to like the death penalty, right. do we do we ever want, like, is there a, a, a certain percentage rate you know, that, like, you're rate, willing right. to sacrifice, right? right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he just says, you know, and I also believe in mercy. I believe in redemption. So... I'm never going to vote for the death penalty. So, like, 
but he has so much integrity now. He's he's creating great conversations. Adam is with uh, conservative legislators, you know, and so I, I think that that's um, that takes a lot of courage. Um, and he kind of lost his job over that, you know. But it also um, is is a reminder too that we we aren't going to move forward together without you know just kind of staying in our silos too. I think we've got to be finding some ways that we can work together, and that's why you know uh, the poor people's movement is a um, the poor people's campaign is 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 a entire movement of fusion, right? Bringing people together out of a common concern um, yeah. for the intersections of these issues. Yeah, man. Well, buddy, I, I love you and so glad for this work. And I just think, you know, as somebody who wants to be a change agent in the world, I, I, I'm all into like, let's change the world. But but I'm not sure our call first is to change the world. I think it's to love the world and then to act in ways that could bring about more love in, in the world. And when that requires change, then we do change. And when it requires, you know, more of something that already exists, we do that. And so really change is a tactic toward a larger outcome. And and it would yeah. be, it would just be, you know, it's, it's good to be in a movement fueled by some, you know, in, in our world, we call it the common good, um, that you can be fueled by something that's common and good. And when people ask, which they do all the time, well, what's good? You're like, well, that's a, that's a really ancient question, isn't it? <laughs> why do you, why do you call me good? And what's right? You know, that's one of the questions that's been asked for a long time and you probably know. And if you're not sure, well, there's a little bit of work for you to do about what's good. If you st if you start with what's what you know is good, pretty good. You probably have enough work to do. Just uh, just right there. You don't always have to. You don't have to. You don't have to definition everything because um, you just know and you know what's good. And talking to you, Shane Claiborne, is good. And Yabitz love it, says, so, yeah. says so as well. All right. Any anything else you got going on? You want people to know about to make sure they uh, get something? You got a. Anything oh, I don't know. We're, we're, um, uh, you know, people are in Philly. Come uh, visit our shop. We're beating guns into garden tools, and uh, I got one right here. I just finished my shovel. You know, um, so we're we're having an open shop once a month now. I think it's also therapeutic, Doug. You know, like you can beat on the yeah, barrel of an AR-15, and um, and we're declaring all things can be made new. So if you're in Philly, come hang out, or I'll see you somewhere. Probably with right Doug on. along the way. Probably somewhere. Okay. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, y'all. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll see you. Uh, we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Talking about economics and stuff. See you in the morning tomorrow sometime. Bye.